0: Can we agree that Malik Willis is plan A? Yeah? Okay, thought so. The most fascinating aspect of the few days that are still left leading up to the NFL draft, for me, from the standpoint of the number 20 overall pick, is what exactly is plan B? Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into hockey, and or baseball. I also offer up daily shots of Penguins and Pirates, where you found this. Willis is the target. I don't know how much more evidence anyone would need. They want a quarterback. They want a mobile quarterback. They want someone who would augment their running game, and they want someone who has the ceiling to be a franchise type. They have pretty much advertise that. They also say that they don't want to move up. Now, when Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin meet with us Monday at Heinz Field in their annual pre-draft press conference, you'll hear, mark my words on this, from both of them, but in particular, Colbert, that we're always willing to move up, we're always willing to move down. In fact, if I could do a better Kevin impersonation here, you'll hear it verbatim just the way I said it. But when it comes to this pick and this quarterback class, my belief is that they're legitimately not going to want to move up. So what they're going to do instead is hope. Now, what's that old saying about how hope is not a plan? Well, in the draft, it has to be. Because there are exactly 31 variables out of your control, meaning how all of the other teams are going to do things, including trades they might make and switching up the board. So even when you think you've got it all figured out, okay, here are the 19 teams in front of us. Here's the number of... Teams that need a quarterback, here's the number that could use a quarterback right now, who could step right in and play. Here's the number who'd be looking more long-term. So one would be Carolina, the other would be, I don't know, New Orleans. But then a trade gets made, up or down, and the whole board is just poof, gone, like that. You put months and months into it, and it's vanished. But what you can do, actually what you must do, and what all teams do, including the Steelers, is come up with, if this, then that. There's a plan A, there's a plan B, there's a plan C when it comes to the first round and all of the unpredictable movement up there. And when I look at all of that, and I accept and respect that the Steelers would feel so strongly about Willis that they're willing to make him plan A. And I presume that they've done all their diligence, even beyond what our eyes have seen, which is plenty, incidentally. Then go right ahead. Go get your kid. But understand, he might not be there. Or, if he is available, it might be too high a price to move up to get him, even by just a handful of spots. So the real thing here is... What else would they have in mind if none of the Willis scenarios unfolds the way they hope? This portion of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by Point Park University. Choose from nearly 100 career-focused programs leading to bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. Choose when and how you'd prefer to do that studying, whether it's at Point Park's gorgeous downtown Pittsburgh campus, whether it's online, maybe a flexible hybrid format would work best for you. Find out more about all of this at pointpark.edu. Every NFL team enters a draft with a complete draft board. That means they've got their own number one guy all the way into infinity. Okay, not infinity, but, you know, the number of players who could conceivably be taken in a draft. They've got that. And they'll tell you that, for the most part, they will stick by that board. When they get to pick number 212 overall, they're going to look down at their list, all the names that have already been crossed off of their list, and they're going to see a group of about 5, 10, 15 players right in that range that are at the top of their list, and then start getting into positional considerations. In other words, do you need an inside linebacker? Okay, if you really, really need an inside linebacker, you're sitting there picking in the third, fourth, fifth round. You might say, okay, here's the best inside linebacker out of this group of 5, 10, or 15. Or if there isn't one, you don't force it and you go for somebody else. But you're operating off that sheet. That sheet, the one with all of the names in order, is the foundation, and it'll be the foundation in the first round, too. So let's say, for example, that the Steelers really value Jordan Davis, the gigantic, athletic, you know to call him a nose tackle. His nose tackle is like gone out of vogue, but he's a defensive tackle who pretty much plays like a nose. And let's say there's no Willis, but Davis falls. And he'd have to fall somewhat because most rankings have him in the 13 to 15 range. Then you take him. You don't go moving up. You don't go moving up. And if you're really, really set on a quarterback in the first two rounds, and you believe, as a whole lot of people within the industry appear to believe, that the Steelers like Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati, not quite as much as Willis, but, you know, somewhere in there, then you go into another round of hoping. In this case, the second round. And you see if Ritter, who might not fit every team's bill for the type of quarterback that they'd want, makes it down to you in the second round. If he doesn't, now you're getting into, I mean, what do we call this, plan C, I guess? Now you're getting into another area where I believe that you have a chance to get an impact wide receiver. And you got to do it, at least from my perspective, in the top two rounds. You want to get somebody who can walk right onto your field as a rookie and have a chance to contribute almost as much as, say, I don't know, Chase Claypool. I mean, if Deontay Johnson's your number one, Claypool's still got a lot of proving to do. You get yourself a wide receiver who can come in and boost that offense right away, who can help spread the attack. Ideally, and by that I don't just mean spreading it to different people, I mean spreading it down the field, stretching the field. You have to get that player, and that goes double if you end up taking a Jordan Davis or any defensive player in the first round. You can't get through those two rounds without adding to your offense when the entire world knows that your needs are principally on offense. Man, this stuff is a mess, isn't it? And this is a draft that you would think would be somewhat simple, entering it given the way the Steelers have sent all these signals out, especially about quarterback. But it's not. It's not. And anyone who thinks that internally they've got it all figured out and everything is scripted and here's how it looks, this is who we want in the first round, this is who we want, they, they don't because they can't because the draft changes with every, Every single selection that's made, every single time Roger Goodell hugs some kid, everyone's plans have been disrupted. Part of the fun though, huh? When we come back, just one question. in Pennsylvania. Learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. And today's J1Q comes from Robert, who asks, Is Deontay Johnson in the same tier of wide receiver as Antonio Brown's peak? Of course not. Is Deontay in the same tier as AB was when the Steelers gave AB his first big contract before the 2012 season? Absolutely And I'd argue that Johnson is a tier or two above A.B. at the time they gave A.B. his first contract. Robert, if you're asking here, and you didn't quite get to that, whether or not the Steelers should extend Deontay and have him become only the third receiver in the last forever, that the team's given a second contract, Second full contract, not like the one-year patchwork thing they gave to Juju last year. I'm gonna go with a no, like across the board. I'm not sure how you could watch AB uh, even in 2012 and think, "Yeah, this is this is what Deontay looks like now." I'm not someone who bashes Deontay. That that's not my thing. I've seen what he's done early in seasons and through the middle of seasons for the most part, and I've called it what it is. He looks like, when he's performing that way, a top-shelf NFL receiver. You want to call him a number one or a true number one or whatever these other artificial designations are, go nuts. He's all of that for the first one-third most of the second third of the season. And then he's not afterward. And if there was one trait about AB that stood out, and I'm talking about at his peak with the Steelers, was he was at his very best in the biggest games. Look, not only did I cover AB's psychotic period with the team, I actually experienced it firsthand, and I'm never, ever, ever going to downplay how great he was, and that's the operative term here, great. A.B. was the best receiver in football. No, he wasn't that in 2012, but you could see the things that he was doing. You could see the way he was running routes, the sure-handedness, the way he'd go up and fight for the football, the way he'd angle his body in mid-air and make everything look so effortless oh no no don't compare him to Deontay also as long as we're on the subject of Deontay's contract why are we on the subject of Deontay's contract I have noticed that there's been a lot of discussion about this on social media. And I know he wasn't at the beginning of voluntary workouts earlier this week. Half of everybody wasn't there. That's just how it goes. Different players have different plans. Cam Hayward wasn't there. Cam Hayward was working out with Tyson Alulu at a college in another state. But from what I gather, you know, two and two was put together and came out to seven and a half or something. And Deontay wasn't going because of some kind of message sending involving a contract. Listen, there's no issue where it comes to his contract. You know why? Because he's got one for 2022. He's in the final year of his four-year deal, the rookie deal, and it'll pay him this year $2.8 million, which is more than triple what he got last year. If you think the Steelers are going to engage this player in extension talks when he's been at his most inconsistent, when he's been needed the most, wow, no. No chance. He's 26 years old now. He'll be 27 by the time he does sign his next contract. There's a reason. Most teams Don't offer second contracts to wide receivers because they burn out quickly. Every millimeter of every step makes a difference, especially to someone like Deontay, who isn't really a blazer. He's an excellent route runner, but he's not someone who's just going to blow people away like a Tyree Kill in terms of just flat out speed and uh, finding open space. He finds it through, I was going to say sleight of hand, but more sleight of foot. And he's really good at it. But I see Deontay at his peak as being someone who will get you the occasional uh, intermediate pass. And he's going to get you a lot of short ones. And once in a while, he'll pop one. But a number one receiver in the National Football League has to be getting you all kinds of splash. And remember that A.B. would generate splash on anything. It wasn't just Ben's bombs. It would be a a little flip at the line of scrimmage. No, no, no. No to the comparisons. No to the extension. Let him go out and prove it in 2022. And if he does and he somehow outprices the Steelers, whatever, draft another one. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Steelers today, all week long. And boy, are we in for a big one next week.